Good morning. Uh, first, I'd like to say that this weekend marks uh, the one year that we have been without a rector. Some of you probably realize that. Uh, I wanted to bring that up uh, because some of, maybe some of you were thinking of that this week. And I wanted to take the opportunity to, in the presence of my brothers and sisters and visitors to Emmaus, to thank our Lord for all that he's done for us at Emmaus during Trevor's eight years as stewarding Emmaus and the many blessings. I was just thinking about the ways in which my own fa little family was blessed by uh, Trevor's time with us at Emmaus. So I thank God for that time. And I thank God for the last year in which he's upheld us and kept us in his love through ups and downs. Uh, second, happy Father's Day. To those of you who uh, are here with us in person or on Zoom, I think, in fact, my own father is with us on Zoom this morning. Uh, so uh, I think Nathan's dad is visiting this morning as well. Uh, yep, uh, wonderful. So, uh, so happy Father's Day. Now, it just occurred to me that uh, verse 11, uh, in verse 11, Paul says, we rejoice in, the Lord, uh, in God through the Lord Jesus Christ. I think this morning, uh, as, uh, as I was thinking about what we're really trying to do with, uh, what I'm trying to do this morning is I want to rejoice with you in the love of God. And we're going to do that by reflecting on just one verse. This morning, that's uh, verse 5 of chapter 5. Let me pray. I'll read the verse and we'll, and we'll begin. Heavenly Father, may the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable, acceptable to you and pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So verse 5 reads, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We're going to reflect on this verse through considering the questions that the verse raises and and answers first question is what is this hope what are we hoping in in briefest terms verse 2 says we hope in the glory of god that we will share in that glory we learn from just these 11 uh, verses that this includes the, the glory of God and our share in it includes our hope that all of our suffering will have a purpose that will be saved from final death. But when we pan out in Romans to what I think is kind of the climax of what's getting started in chapter five, where Paul is introducing the Holy Spirit, we, when we come to the climax of this section in chapter eight of Romans, we learn that this hope we have in the glory of God means that we hope to be part of God's glorious new creation. The heavens and the earth are being 
renewed, transformed. We are part of that renewal, that transformation, both being transformed and part and agents of that transformation. And it is a glorious new creation because God's fullness will be revealed in it. So our hope is in the glory of God's new creation and sharing in it. Next question to get us going is, what does it mean to say that this hope which we share does not put us to shame? It means we don't end up looking foolish for hoping in something that doesn't in fact come about. We know how this works from experience when we hope that something will happen and it turns out we're wrong. We feel embarrassed or ashamed, not that we should feel that way necessarily, but we often do feel that way. The shame that we may feel lies not with that in which we hope, but rather in the failure of the fulfillment of that thing we're hoping in. Simply put, when Paul writes that our hope in the glory of God will not put us to shame, he means it won't disappoint us, we can be absolutely sure of its fulfillment. So our hope in sharing in the glory of God and his new creation is a certain hope. I think then the big question for us in verse 5 is addressing why we have this certain hope. What is the cause of our hope? Just to be clear, the question facing us right now is not why we're going to share in that glory. It's not the cause of our sharing in it. That would be what Paul refers to as the faithfulness of God and the obedience of Jesus. The question in verse 5 is, what is the basis of our certainty that we'll share in that glorious new creation? And Paul's answer is right there we can be certain of it because the cause of our certainty is that the love of god has been has already been poured into our hearts through the holy spirit who has already been given to us the indwelling love of god in us through the Holy Spirit is the reason for our hope. So notice that while the promise of this glory and sharing in it is of course in the future, that's why it's a hope, it's in the future, the basis for that hope is in what we've already received. It's not in the future, we've already received it. The love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The hope is in the future, but it's based upon what's already occurred. So now, what has occurred? What does it mean to say that God's love has been poured into our hearts? How might we go about understanding that this morning? You may know, may have heard of this uh, kind of famous phrase from uh, Aristotle, the mind understands nothing without images. So here's an image for us and we'll see if it's helpful. The image that came to me uh, this week, maybe because, you know, summer is here and we're thinking about different uh, things we're doing as a family. The image I had this week is camping in the rain. 
if you've never been camping, it involves tents and trees and sleeping bags, and often, in my case at least, rain. So the image is camping in the rain. Everything is soaking wet, saturated with water. Nothing is not wet, right? It's not just that everything feels wet and looks wet and smells wet and even sounds wet. It's that the rain shapes or really reshapes everything about the trip. Its components, its enjoyment, its purposes, its memory. The rain transforms the trip. We have a different thing. So, by analogy, when the love of God is poured into our hearts, when it floods our hearts, like a downpour might flood a campsite, that love transforms the heart. We have a different heart. What is the heart? Think of it as the seat of our intellect and our passions, of our feelings, but much more than our feelings. The Latin word might be helpful. You, know, you might know the Latin word for heart is core, C-O-R, from which we get the English word core and the French word cour, excuse me, excuse me, um, core. The heart is at our, it is our core, the core of our being. It's who we really are. That's why God, of course, is wanting to transform it. It is transforming it. But what am I at my core really? I am definitely flesh and blood, no doubt about it, but much more besides. Just as real, the question, you know, what am I really in my core? Just as real as my eyes is the attention I pay to what's around me. My eyes are real, but so too is my attentiveness. Just as real as my ears are the questions I ask about the things and sounds that go bump in the night. My ears are real, but so are the questions I ask, my curiosity, my care. And just as real as an unjust act is my choice about what I will do in response. What I'm getting at here is Paul, I think emphatically, is not speaking metaphorically. When he says that the love of God has been poured into our hearts, it really has taken place. And we know it's taken place because that love transforms who we are. It gives new form to our being. It shapes our attentiveness. It informs our questions. The love of God enables our insights. The love of God through the Holy Spirit determines the care of our judgments and governs our choices. Now, notice, I think at least, the transformation, it's not, the image here is not the flicking of a switch, an on-off switch as though the human heart had been roused out of a dormant state. I don't think that's it at all. Because prior to the gift of the Holy Spirit and the outpouring of God's love, my heart was indeed active. But to use the language of Ezekiel, it was a heart of stone. And if you want a concise summary 
of what a heart of stone looks like, you can read Romans 1, injustice, wickedness, avarice, vice, and that's just for starters. So what happens in this outpouring of God's love into our hearts is not a switch from nothing to something, but a fulfillment of God's promise to replace something, the heart of stone, with something else, the heart of flesh. It's not creation per se, because something was already there. It's a new creation. Those who belong to Jesus, as Paul writes of himself in the very opening verses of Romans, those who are slaves to Jesus, meaning Jesus owns them, they are his. Those who belong to Jesus are in a real sense, already, now, being made into new men and new women. So, here's where we are, I think. Our hope that we will share in God's glorious new creation is certain, and it's certain because everything that makes us who we are really is already being transformed by God's love. And we can know that transformation is happening. So to push on that a little bit, as I said, insight requires images, but if the image is distorted, so too will be the insight. And there's something in the image of camping in the rain, while it really gets across the notion of saturation, it may distort our understanding of God's love as well, because camping in the rain is terrible. <laughs> and these negative connotations, of course, do not apply to the love of God. So to add here another image, we'll borrow from the prophet Joel, chapter 2, which is a beautiful image of fruitfulness. Joel's been describing the lands of Israel being laid to waste by swarms of locusts and invading hordes who torch the lands and leave behind them barren fields. But then, Joel prophesies, the Lord took pity on his people. Be glad, people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains because he is faithful. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. You will have plenty to eat until you are full. And you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Just as the abundant showers enliven the parched land of Israel, so too the indwelling love of God transforms our hearts from barrenness to fruitfulness. The fruits of the transformed heart of flesh are, of course, because the love of God is being poured out through the Holy Spirit, those fruits are the fruits of the Spirit, such as those Paul lists in Galatians. Joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, 
self-control. Let me say just a couple words about a few of these gifts of the Spirit, these fruits of the Spirit, I should say. Notice that these fruits which we bear were the same fruits first shown to us. So, for example, when we exhibit the fruit of love, it is the fruit of God's love poured into our hearts. Or when we exhibit the fruit of peace, it is because through Jesus and his blood, we have peace with God. And when we show kindness, the fruit of kindness, it is because, as Paul writes in chapter 2, God's kindness has transformed our hard hearts. And it goes on and on. So to conclude, how do we know for certain that Jesus has secured our eternal glory in the new creation? Every time the indwelling Holy Spirit causes us to be attentive to someone whose needs we otherwise would have ignored, every time the love of God compels us to choose a course of action that we otherwise would have said is too great a sacrifice, each and every good fruit that comes from the love of God in us, who are made new by the Spirit of Christ, every one of these good fruits is an assurance that God's glorious new creation is coming and that we will certainly share in it. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Amen.